Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Startup Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures. This is the show where we interview entrepreneurs and investors on the stories and catalysts of their startup successes and failures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker. Today's guest, Chinoa Farnsworth. She's the managing director of Blue Startups and Hawaii Angels. Chinoa is a leader in our startup community here in Hawaii, and she has been a force in growing and investing in this ecosystem. In this episode, we talk about the early days of her career in tech and investing, some of what she calls the heady Act 221 days, uh, launching blue startups, connecting to a global startup community. Uh, our startup brand actually, guys, is bigger than most know. So awesome chance to chat with Chinoa. Uh, just a quick administrative note. This is one of the last episodes we recorded without a legit audio setup. So thank you guys for your patience in this journey, and I can't wait to share some good audio and proper uh, tunes with you folks. I am recording it on right now. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Chinoa Farnsworth. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having Actually, me. thanks for inviting me yeah. <laughs> to your office. You are in my office. You know, I think, I can't, I was thinking it was a Hawaii Business Magazine article you wrote I, maybe six months, 12 months ago. Really good article, and you mentioned how important, because I'm staring at our beautiful view, and I love your office, um, how important that our, uh, you know, being in Hawaii, mm -hmm. nobody has this view. Anytime I'm on a conference call, uh, you know, showcase that to them. Yes. I had a conference call with somebody in New York the other day, and they were like, it's 40 degrees, and it's raining. Yes. Show I, me your view, please, and how beautiful it is. I often forget, and people see it behind me, you know, and they're like, yeah. oh, is that... Oh, the sky looks so nice, and then I like show them with my computer. Like, yeah, yes. you like try not to brag, but you make sure Another that they can day. see. It. That's true. Yeah, I had um, I had an old boss when I was at the bank that every time he was on a conference call with people not in Hawaii, he would make a joke. He'd be like, "Oh, sorry, if you hear interference in the background, that's just the palm trees blowing against the <laughs> window." So he, yeah, he was uh, you know rubbing it in for sure. Yes. But. Um, you know, speaking of Hawaii, I you grew up in Berkeley? In Berkeley, uh, for the most part. For I the moved most part. out here when I was 14. You were 14. Mm -hmm. So your parents, like, moved your family out here? Mm -hmm. So you ended high school. Yes. Like, that. you went, you'd be, started your sophomore year? My here? sophomore year, yep. Oh. I actually moved from Berkeley, California, to a macadamia nut farm on the Big Island. It was quite a transition. No way. <laughs> yes. Were you furious with your parents? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I ran away from home, like, every other day, like, I'm going back to Berkeley. I'm going to hitchhike there. You know, I was just, I lost my mind completely. I was 14. You're going to yeah. lose your mind no matter what. Well. And then, you know, add to it this major, major life transition. Yeah. You know, of course, so, my parents idealistically thought they were doing something really great for me. Know, to get me out of the city and into the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding. We're not going to actually live here, are we? <laughs> yeah, what was it like your first day? Like, this is our new home. Yeah. And they got me, I remember my very first day, and they got me a puppy because we were on a farm. I couldn't even drive. I was too young, and this was my my consolation yeah. prize, the puppy, you know, to entertain me. <laughs> what was, was the puppy's name? Like, are you kidding me? Oh, gosh. I don't... Uh, remember it'll come to me in a minute <laughs> have it for very long for very complicated reasons but anyway <laughs> yeah yeah well from city girl to farm life more or less i mean in the middle of nowhere with no friends yes which high school did you go to parker high school in waimea wow yes. so you went there sophomore junior senior year yes yeah and did you like leave as soon as you could to go back to california i did <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i did yeah i did yeah i went to school in santa cruz uc santa cruz right yeah right. which was kind of like going home you know for me um yeah so and i've always been kind of of two worlds you know yeah because my family is still there for the most part and um like your your parents are so my all of my brothers and sisters aunts uh, uncles cousins everybody is there. The only people that are here is my mother. Huh. Yeah, so so is that what drew you back eventually? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I guess yeah. it was. And um, you know, really, I was a poli sci major as an undergrad. Oh, really? And my first kind of out of school opportunity was, you know, my mom was was working um, with some legislators, and she said, well. You know, Senator Levin from the Big Island will give you a job. And I was like, okay, I'll be there. So really? I moved to Oahu to work at the legislature. So that's the, you moved here for the job to work in the ledge. Mm -hmm. 
How long did you work there? Just one season. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that was enough that to was see. <laughs> that's, that's, Politics not for you. Um, yeah. Not in that role, at least, right? Yeah, not probably in any role. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not as, as like maybe a public servant or working in an office, but you, you know, in, in the roles or the hats you wear, I'm it, sure that came in handy. It is political in a lot of ways, definitely. Sure. But, um, but yeah, that process moves so very slowly. So... Hawaii, mainland, back to Hawaii. Yes. You're here now. Yes. You then, how do you make the transition to either So, yeah, so there are a couple other jumps back and forth. Uh -huh. I actually moved back to the mainland, um, and I worked in health policy. So I was a policy wonk. I worked on Capitol Hill, yeah, um, for, for years. And then I moved back here, actually, originally to get my uh, MBA. And I kind of thought, well, I'm going to go back to school. I might as well move home and, you know, do that from Hawaii. And um, while I was in school, it actually was the first dot-com boom in Silicon hmm. Valley. And while that wasn't happening squarely in Hawaii, it, 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 you know, carried over into kind of our MBA program and what was happening in tech. And I started... How did it kind of carry over? Like, um, what were some of the evidence you, you know, saw? We had uh, class projects that were with like tech companies in Silicon Valley that we hmm. were working with as kind of consulting projects and things like that, that really got me interested in the industry. And, and a few of those little nuggets, actually, one of the first things I did was uh, working with Susan Yamada oh, really? at Get to Hawaii, which was a, which was a technology startup here. In the, in oh. the travel industry. Oh, yeah. so I just, yeah, I interviewed Susan a couple weeks ago, and yeah. we never actually talked, get to Hawaii. What get was to that? Hawaii. Yeah, it was an online travel site. <laughs> really? Yeah, way back in the day. It does a lot of things, actually, that like uh, Kayak or Expedia or what have does today, but back then it was extremely hard to do, to connect flight, hotel, and car on one site. That was the idea. And starting in the Hawaii market and moving out to the world we were just too early you know really in a sense it was just so hard um technologically to do that to hook into all these legacy systems now they've cracked that nut you know pretty much but um anyway i got into that whole industry and i was like health policy boring <laughs> this is where moving. the fun is talk at. about glacier speed yeah to like you know going and taking a luge yeah, and I was like, super fast. This is where the smart people, fun people, energy, excitement, you know, that's where it all was, was in tech. And I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm doing that. So what was your, you worked on that project while you were getting your MBA. Was that yeah. executive MBA or were you doing full-time? Executive or, MBA. It was. So yeah. you're still working, you know, a job and then you're getting an MBA. Mm-hmm. Without that tech background necessarily, how did you then kind of like say, this is what I want to do and make that, like, that's a mental shift, that's a career shift, that's a family, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just started doing it. Really? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's that old adage, right? Fake it till you make it. I was just like, yep, I'm an expert at this. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Let me help you because yeah. I know what I'm doing. You know, that was it. I mean, I just kind of made, made, like, made it up, you know, as I went. And I did a lot of consulting for different tech startups mm -hmm. and, you know, got more involved in a few of them, you know, like, they get to Hawaii. And, and that was primarily from Hawaii and yeah. working with either companies here. Yep. Yeah. It was all here. So um, then, you know, I did that for, for many years. And it was great flexibility because at that time I was having my babies you yeah know? so I was doing all of those kind of project-based stuff and uh, that gave me the flexibility to be home with my babies which was good timing um, and then really when Rob Robinson moved to town the professor at UH he, he moved to take the chair of the uh, entrepreneurship center there and was a professor there but he had a background in angel investing and um, you know, I met him, got to know him, and he said, I'm going to put together an angel investment network, and I'm looking for people to help me. And I raised my hand and said, well, I want to help you, because I could see that it would benefit all the companies I was working with, hmm. you know, all of my clients who had really, at that point in time, nowhere to go. If you didn't know somebody, you weren't getting funded. You know, right. It, it, there was no other mechanism for, for startup funding at all. 
So, hmm. so that was how, at the time, I guess it was called UH Angels, right? That's right. Yeah. So. It was called UH Angels. We had our first meeting on campus. Yeah. Yep. I remember there were seven of us, uh, you know, at the time. Do you remember, like, the first uh, the first meeting where, like, a, an entrepreneur came and pitched? And I, You know, I totally remember the first, like, organizational meeting, but the first pitches, I, it's, I can't quite remember what companies. Although I do remember... Um, you know, some oldies but goodies like Hot You, if anybody's been in the scene long enough, they will recognize that name, was kind of the hot company at the time. Literally the hot company. They came and pitched us, you know. This was definitely still squarely in kind of the dot-com era, you know, so we had a few of those companies. That right, late like 90s, early 2000s. Famous flameouts, you know. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any good stories? Oh, Lots, but that you can share. None with are positive, audience. so we'll just <laughs> just leave it at that. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So meeting Rob, did you have you read his book, Angel and Destiny? I actually have read his yeah. book. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. interested. We got a couple copies in our office, and I still have a stack I've, here too. <laughs> I have actually read it, I've, mm-hmm. Rob. If you're listening, or when we get the chance to talk mm-hmm. on the show, hopefully, I've I've read your book. Yeah, and it is very it's still very relevant actually. Yeah. So any entrepreneurs, we'll we'll include a link in the show notes and whatnot for yeah. for people and it's good on Amazon. A lot of good nuts and bolts in there. Yeah. Know. So starting the the angel group, mm-hmm. taking Rob's kind of, because Rob was kind of a, um, you know, he was one of the first yeah. anywhere. He was more a or less to kind of do this. expert at the time. That's yeah. Right. You know, writing the book and, and recognizing this trend. And it's become a mega trend. Yeah. In terms of like even these super angels and how the landscape is today with angel list. And yeah. Like how does, how has that changed when you look back? Oh, yeah. Well, that's been such a rapid you know, development, right? Because when we started Hawaii Angels, we were one of the first angel groups in the country. I mean, there had been a few groups going since you know, the 70s, let's say, but it really hadn't become a thing until around the time that we started Hawaii Angels. So when I tell people we founded Hawaii Angels in 2001, they're like, whoa, you know, because most of these groups are really relatively recently founded. You know, for example, the Angel Capital Association, which is the national Association of Angel Groups was founded in 2004, and huh. Hawaii Angels was one of the charter members. Rob helped to organize that whole national organization. And when I go to those meetings, everybody still, you know, knows Rob, right? Right. Yeah, because he was one of the original um, kind of thought leaders in the whole industry at that time. So you know, that was uh, you know, we got a great um, head start in having leadership like that. For sure. And great timing, too, for for the ecosystem as well. It was good timing. It was definitely the time when the Act 221 stuff was taking off. So that was the tax credit program that fueled a lot of the activity in the space. Right. So if you look at a trajectory of, like, Hawaii Angels, you know, we went from zero, obviously, in a one to at the peak of our kind of investing activity in 2006, we invested a little over $6 million in that one year alone. Since then, it kind of went back down with the financial crisis. In 08, you see a drop-off. With the Act 221 sunsetting in 2010, you see another drop-off. And, you know, then it levels out and kind of picks back up again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've been pretty steady now at, you know, maybe $1 to $2 million a year that we put to work in that group. Now, with, um, uh, with the way Hawaii Angels is structured... It's not like like everybody invests individually. That's right. So They're all no... making their own decisions with their own money. Uh-huh. But we do collect data. You know? track that yeah. just from the we member provided info. Yeah, it's self-reported, so it's not exact. But sure. we try to get a sense for that. So, you know, by our estimates, we've invested in over 70 companies, over $40 million. 70 companies and $40 million. <laughs> and that's in... 17 years? 16 mm-hmm. years, I guess? Well, no, no. 13, 14. Right? It's 2016. We started in 01. Really, oh, 02, yeah. you know, because it was late 01. So. 15, I guess? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what did Hawaii Angels kind of lead to, you know, your relationship with Rob and mm-hmm. Kolohala? Yeah. And just kind of let's pull some capital together, put together a fund. Yeah. So Kolohala started with the idea that we, w- we needed a sidecar fund for the angels. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so explain to me a sidecar fund. So a sidecar fund is a fund that that works right alongside the angel group and usually works at, with a trigger effect. 
So in our case, if more than four angels invested more than $100,000 in a deal, the fund automatically invests. Oh, really? And a lot of groups have sidecar funds because it's a great diversification mechanism for the membership, right? So I don't have to be in every deal if I'm in the sidecar fund. So I give the Kohala sidecar fund $100,000. Yeah. And then I put in 20, 25, or whatever I want to do in all the other deals, but yeah. I still to get the benefit of... Of the diversified portfolio. Yeah. Hmm. So, and again, you know, Rob was a pioneer in, in, in this as well. So we were one of the first sidecar funds in the country. And many, many groups have actually replicated our model. And even we've, we've been pretty open source about it, you know, sharing sure. our docs and stuff like that with other groups. And a lot of people are using those documents today. So uh, that was the Heaven Fund. That was Chris Rob's invention. <laughs> the Heaven Fund? Wait, the what? Heaven Fund, yeah. The Heaven Fund, which was the first Kalahala Fund. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, that was, was the, the name. So do you, you Kolahala had like about fifty million under management. Yeah, all peak? together. So we had multiple funds, gotcha. all with kind of different purposes, right? So there was the Heaven Fund, which was the sidecar fund. Um, the next fund we raised was KVF, the Kolahala Venture Fund, which was a tax equity fund. So all of the investors in that fund were tax motivated individuals mm. or or corporations that could use the tax credits. The qualified high technology businesses. Yep. So we invested only in Hawaii-based QHDPs. Okay. And um, and then we also managed the hydrogen fund, which was a renewable energy fund um, that was put up by the state of Hawaii, um, and um, several other kind of one-off uh, funds, special purpose entity type funds for specific uh, companies. So altogether, I think we had like twelve funds under management or something. I mean, some of them very small, but, you know, all very complicated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like with, with uh, you know, these kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say arcane might not be the right word, but the tax structures and incentives and such and such entities coming in. and The administrative uh, work there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, since when we started. You were in health policy, though. You were used to that. Yeah, <laughs> it was way worse than anything I was really? used to. Really? Um, yeah, it's like when we started Blue Startups, it was, that's why I said, C corps only. I'm not dealing with K ones from you know beyond. Oh yeah. Effort. I mean, because in those days you had to invest in an LLC to get the tax credits to pass through. It's a partnership entity, so you had to collect K ones from every company, break them down to each investor. We had over a hundred investors. I mean, it was just it was mind boggling kind of tax and administrative. <laughs> yeah, that, that whatever, if you had a two and 20 or whatever your structure was, you're like this, you need to reverse that to make them. Yeah, like, it was. Not reverse it, but you know, like. I mean, whew. it was great in that we were able yeah. to raise money. A lot of activity. I mean, it must have been an exciting time. Jim. It was really exciting. I mean, it was fun. You know, it's, it's, it's very fun to raise millions of dollars. It's very fun to write checks for millions of dollars, I got to write the checks. That was oh really? really? <laughs> that was always my job. I get to write the check. Um, you know, yeah, it was great. It was a great time. We mm. had um, we did a lot, and I think you know made a big difference in terms of the, the level of activity in the state. Right. You know, of course, that all kind of came crashing down around 08, 09. It was like yeah well in kind of hindsight like obviously you were a beneficiary of the 221 and there's people on both sides of the fence like where kind of how do you kind of describe that that time period and looking back yeah i mean the way i would describe it as kind of heady days right and and we we all i think collectively got caught up in a bit of the madness of it and i do think that market forces were not what they should have been Hmm. i don't think the idea of a tax credit is bad, but I think the way that we structured it as a state was too generous. It wasn't sustainable, for one thing, right? So everybody mm-hmm. was always, the government was always at war with itself about whether to keep the program going. So it was always this instability. Is it going to be around? Are tax credits safe or not safe? So we really didn't have enough stability to even really leverage it. Mm-hmm. So I think if it had been much more kind of moderate we would have known it was going to be around and it wouldn't have been such an overwhelming incentive as to basically get us to kind of do stupid things <laughs> right i mean yeah uh, honestly i mean there were there were deals that got done that shouldn't have gotten done mm-hmm. because the companies 
weren't in a position to really make use of those funds responsibly. Yeah, I've heard, I heard stories um, that there was a time where like checks had to be written and it was like the first entrepreneur that could, that could run over. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to sully my reputation too much on this, but definitely. I mean, it's just we, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, inertia around stuff. And we, you know, when you're in the middle of it, I'm sure it's like, yeah, we had cool, money to put happened. to work, you know, yeah. we had, and that was part of our promise to our investors. For sure. Yeah. We will get you this tax cut. So by December 31st, every penny had to be invested and we, we didn't have a Christmas vacation, as you can imagine, Jeez. for all of those years <laughs> at all. We yeah. were working straight through up to the, that deadline, up to midnight on the 31st. I mean, we never took a day off in that season because it was it was insane. We literally had people walk in with checks like, can you still invest this? And like, wow. on the 31st at 4 p.m., you know? <laughs> we were like, okay, we'll find somewhere. <laughs> You know, to how do you even like deposit that check? Because I'm sure the banks weren't even open. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. It's, wow. It was, it was crazy. But, but crazy it was, times. It was fun. You know, and the kind of, you know, looking at that that two to one blip from Cola Hala, but Hawaii Angels and Hawaii Angels being, you know, continuing on and obviously, you know, uh, spearheading that that group with Rob and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then in. I'm trying to get my time periods right. You know, the ton sunsets in 2010-ish, mm-hmm. a couple of years of just not a ton happening probably right. and right. everything going on in the, mar- the you know macroeconomic environment. Right. But then there started to be the kind of accelerator model that was finding tons of success and see these other markets. Like, uh, let's replicate that here. Mm-hmm. More of an mm-hmm. organic bottoms up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blue startups came about. How did Blue actually originate? Yeah. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, so there was a lot of interest in the accelerator model, some of that prompted by the state of Hawaii. And um, I remember there was, you know, a big conference that was put on by Startup Hawaii, you know, that brought in Steve Case and everybody's talking about the accelerator model. And so a lot of people were kind of talking about it. Um, We were certainly talking about it at Hawaii Angels, which um, I was running at the time. So, you know, the, the management of Hawaii Angels transitioned from Rob to me and I think 2009 or something like that. So it was, that's what I was doing for the most part. And, um, you know, the deal flow wasn't there. Certainly the quality deal flow wasn't there. And there was a lot of, you know, talking about, can we even sustain an angel group at this point, you know, in time. So that was, and I started talking to the members and the board about starting an accelerator, Hawaii Angels Accelerator. So that was kind of our line of discussion. We had many meetings about that and kind of organized a little steering committee about it and blah, blah, blah. So we were kind of going down that path and thinking that we, as Hawaii Angels, would apply for the funding from Carl. At the same time, many Carl other... Carl Fuchs at, H- at HSDC. HSDC, sorry. Yep. At the same time, many other groups were kind of forming around this opportunity, right? Because uh, there was funding and everybody knew that the RFP was going to come out. And so, um, and HSDC was doing all these kind of in- informational meetings about it. So, you know, people were starting to organize around that opportunity to get some state funding um, for it. So Hawaii Angels was one group, um, yeah, there were many others. Um, and uh, Hank Rogers, with, you know, the Tetris company, and Blue Planet Foundation was also thinking about that. And he was talking to Ray Chong, Fujihara, about helping him, because Ray Chong had already started the Fox Jelly. Right. And so had, you know, a good base of experience to kind of translate into this accelerator. For sure, for sure. Um, And, you know, essentially at the end of the day, I think it came down to, were we going to need to actually organize to write this RFP? And we... I think uh, Hank's team didn't quite have all the pieces of the puzzle. And, you know, my team, Hawaii Angels team, didn't quite have all the pieces of the puzzle either. So we found the synergy and, like, yeah. let's talk and make yeah. it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we started talking. Uh, I remember Maya Rogers called me in here to meet with her and Ray Chung and um, asked me if I would run basically their accelerator, which, you know, it's great if Hawaii Angels can be a partner in that. Um, we're, we're in. Awesome. So that's what happened. Yeah. And this was probably 2012? 2012. Right? So yeah. first cohort was... 2012. 
2013. Spring 2013, right? Spring 2013. So you guys had to have the programmatic stuff, acceptance, whatever, like that second half of 2012. It, it was, things were it picking up in terms yeah. of you're behind the scenes. Like, it was nice. Did you travel and go look at other accelerators? Where did yeah. you go? So, um, well, Maya took a trip, and I don't know all the spots she went to. And then I took a trip as well um, and connected with folks at uh, Techstars. And I actually went to – we had already joined the Global Accelerator Network. I was going to ask time. about that. So, yeah, yeah. that – you had already joined. We had already joined. It, and so was, was Techstars was part of GAN? Because first thing we did. GAN is basically spun out of Techstars, Gann or it's the same spun model. Out of Techstars. Okay. Yeah. So it used to be called the Techstars Network. Oh. There um, you go. Yeah, but they rebranded it as GAN because Techstars had started multiple locations as Techstars, so it was confusing. Sure. To be the Techstars Network. Um, so we was really was like the first decision we made was to join the GAN. And um, we got in based upon really Hank's background. You know, they were pretty excited to have hmm. a, an accelerator run by you know Hank Rogers with his Tetris experience. So we kind of got to jumpstart the process a little bit. Normally, you have to go through a bit longer of a vetting period with the GAN to get in. So we were able to kind of, and we were we were um, I can't remember what they call it, temporary member for a year and then mm -hmm. become a full member to gotcha. prove that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Um, but anyway, that was kind of our jump start into it. So I went to my first GAN meeting in Chicago um, that October. The timing kind of lined up well. So it was one of the first things we did. Huh. Um, and so I met all of my colleagues around the country that were doing accelerators. Able to establish kind of a relationship with them. You stayed in touch. And <laughs> yeah, and I was really lucky at that meeting that I just happened to and I didn't know much about it, you know. I was still learning, right, at that point. But I just happened to sit across from David Cohen. The oh, really? The tech star. And I... The, the, the guy you the should David talk Cohen. to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I spent the whole three days with him and became really good friends with him. And he's still a huge supporter of the startups. And uh, Yeah, I remember um, Cohort 2 and pitching to Dave. When yeah. he, he took his time yeah. during the middle of, uh, you know, his work day to hear some... He's folks a, in Hawaii pitching ideas. Very generous guy. Yeah. And uh, was was hugely helpful to me. I was like one stupid question a minute, I think, at, during that whole conference. Well, good on you for, you know, being able to just say, hey, I have no idea. Or yeah. like, you know, can you help me with this? And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that, you know, I did that. And at the, just a, like month prior, Maya had gone to Silicon Valley and toured, um, you know, 500 plug and play. Um, GBS at the time, um, and a few others, I think. So, we, you know, we both had kind of some some ideas about what we wanted to do. Right. And it kind of blended that and mm -hmm. with the GAN support and everybody else, just kind of, yeah. there's not some like, you, you maybe put your own unique spin on it, but it's not like you're recreating. Right. You, know, you have that, a playbook, so to speak. That, that's right. You actually have an actual playbook, you know, that comes with your membership. And yeah. We literally, from the first cohort, were like, okay, it says... I mean, it's, <laughs> Day three. Yeah, no, and seriously, it's that prescriptive. It, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It is that prescriptive. You need to have a dinner on day two with these people, and the theme should be X. And, I mean, obviously, we varied from that wildly at this sure. point. But to begin with, I so, was... So, yeah, was, was know, the wild card in the playbook? No. <laughs> so, no, it wasn't. how did that idea come up? Because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, that's how we got to know each other through, and we can talk about what that what yes. that was, but yes. cohort one is done, and cohort yeah. two, you're soliciting for applications and mm -hmm. come up with this idea. So, what happened is, once we started the accelerator, and we had, you know, all these teams out here um, in the co-working space, and working on their tech, and da-da-da, well, that was pretty exciting, obviously, you know, there's nothing like your first cohort. Like, it was really exciting to, to just be around that energy, to be that hands-on with entrepreneurs after being, a, you know, a, a venture capitalist, a fund manager, which is much more arm's length, you know. It was, was really fun for me um, to be kind of back in the mix like that. And I think Hank got pretty excited about that, too, you know. And he would walk down here all the time from his office and be like, I've got this idea. You know, and I'd be like, thing is, Hank, all these guys out here, they're working on their own ideas. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I can't really do anything about that. I know you want them to do that, but they're not 
they're doing their own thing. Like, right. That's kind of the model. We accepted we, him for this yeah. idea, which we kind of like. Yeah, like, that's kind of was the model we're going with. Like, yeah. They're coming with their own their own idea. Um, and that just kept happening. And so uh, we just came up with this idea of Hank's wild card, which would be, you know, we'd find the team and he would supply the idea, of which he had many to choose from. So we thought, you know, let's try it. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to uh, thank you because it was the opportunity to, uh, you know, participate and, and, you know, try and give it our level level best to, mm -hmm. to take a hold of an idea, Hank's idea, and, and try and build a, a company and see if that was something that, a model that worked, you know, and this was like, we're like, well, we're tired out, you know, yeah. and that was a great opportunity for me because I was looking for the next step to outside of the, the role mm -hmm. I was at, you know, obviously, you know, walking away from the, the job at Central Pacific Bank right. uh, and just diving in. And I really appreciated, uh, you know, quitting on a was it, Thursday or Friday and coming in on Monday and a completely different scenario. I'm like, you know, sort of like, this yeah. is, people are doing this stuff. Like, this is actually possible. And I, uh, yeah. you know, I had a blast since. So yeah. uh, I did, uh, it's funny that, uh, you know, the wild card uh, um, concept, I, I think, you know, I always kind of like when you look back and, and reminisce a little bit, maybe passion was the lacking part of and mm -hmm. that the, how it could be successful yeah. um and um but the benefit you know the rcto alan told mm -hmm. him he goes and works for happy hour pal yeah. happy hour pal was in the same cohort too yeah they then pivot to this very scalable incredible idea area yeah. metrics right. and he's a huge part of the piece it wouldn't yeah. have happened at least not at that speed without it yeah uh i get meet tark yeah, Tarek, uh, you know, as, as you know, working with Omar and Tarek Sultan and uh, been able to do you know, a lot of stuff over the last couple of years. Yeah. So because, you know, you guys took that shot. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of stories like that. So yeah. it's not necessarily, you know, we're just building an ecosystem and that's kind of the benefit of, of that, right? So there's, there's also the story of uh, Mark and, and Tiff, you know, Quesada, who came through cohort one and, and the company they were working on aptly. It didn't work, but they went on to co-found Hobnob with one of Blue Star's mentors, Tina yeah. Fish, you know, whom they met here. So. Yeah, and they co-work out of our offices or have, yeah. you know, sublease in the space across the street. So, uh, that's, yeah. And Mark was the one who originally told me to apply, actually, uh -huh. for the wild card because we're good friends. So Mario, his brother, yeah. and her and that team. Yeah. Um, kind of talking about Hawaii as, as an ecosystem. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's changed a ton. We've talked a lot about how it has changed. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what is something that, um, I guess two things, what can Hawaii do better? Uh, and I'll kind of the, the, the question I have there is like, I th is it an attitude or a culture of startups? Is it in the water? As we mm -hmm. talked about, I think in your Hawaii Business Magazine article, mm -hmm. that that's what it was like in Colorado. It's in the water for people. Here it's not as much. Is that changing? Mm -hmm. Is there something we can do to help that be better? And then what do you see as like, what are you stoked about for Hawaii? Like, what are you mm -hmm. bullish on? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we get this question a lot, like, is it in our culture to be risk takers, to be entrepreneurs? I think, you know, my opinion is that, that entrepreneurs are everywhere and, you know, you can't kind of stop them from coming. Um, you know, it's like Christmas. It's going to happen. <laughs> and <laughs> one of the things that we like about the Blue Startups model is mixing it up, right? So because 50% of our cohort is from outside the state in general and 50% is inside the state. So we think that's a good cultural mix as well because both groups learn from each other. So I do think there's a cultural element in Hawaii that is not perhaps as driven and not understanding the pace at which the world is working because we're isolated. Hmm. So I think we need to be exposed to that pace and it's really a pace issue, right? So when I bring in a team from Singapore or even you know Canada or Denver or wherever that team is here till midnight that team is here every weekend that team is working at a different pace than our local teams and what happens is that starts to rub off right and the local team goes these guys are always here maybe we should be doing that too and you know that the, the you know hopefully that's what happens right as opposed to the other way around which has happened also. Uh, it can go either direction. You know, our mainland team's kind of, <laughs> slow down. We're in Hawaii. Yeah. Like, hmm. Yeah. But generally speaking, what happens is our, our Hawaii teams speed up to yeah. meet that pace. Right. 
And I think, you know, anybody who's been in this game long enough knows that there's just no substitute for hard work, right? Ideas don't matter. Uh, all that matters really at the end of the day is execution. And the thing that matters most about execution is your willingness to just work that much harder than the other guy. And I don't, I mean, I look at the teams and companies that have come through Blue that have done exceedingly well. They are all very hardworking. They are the guys who work here till midnight and here every weekend. So it's really not mysterious, you know, oh, what's the success? You know, what's the secret? Work your ass off? I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's not that, you know, uh, uh, hard to understand. And so I think, you know, we do have to kind of infuse our culture. And I think we do that just by exposure, you know, and that's uh, one of my primary themes is just getting ourselves to be global thinkers, global actors, be globally connected. Because the more that we are interacting and having that kind of influx, then the more we're going to operate kind of in the real world, so to speak. And that doesn't mean we have to geographically be somewhere else. It just means we've got to be working at that pace, you know, in order to compete. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I really like the, um, the kind of the blend. It's both an export because people always talk about brain drain or at least kind of it's part of the narrative. And, and I don't know if I necessarily believe that uh, in terms of carte blanche, like people are just smart people are leaving because there's not opportunities. People leave, yeah, because maybe it's just better for them at that part of their life or whatever. But bringing in external and then them learning from the local culture, like I had a great, great chat with uh, Sean from Comprendio the other day. I think he was cohort three mm -hmm. um, at Blue. And um, yeah, he was just like, he's so stoked on what he learned from the Hawaiian culture. Mm -hmm. Like people that he's met here and how much he loves his place. Yeah. I think people are impacted by that when they do come and that can be taken away when they leave. Like, you know, people talk about the Aloha spirit. It's a real thing. This is a real, um, you know, really incredibly positive export that Hawaii can really own. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you asked me what I'm bullish on. I mean, I think that's part of it, you know, in terms of the Hawaii teams and the Hawaii companies, the difference, I mean, there's a couple differences that I see that then I hope will rub off on the people coming in from the outside. One is kind of um, stick-to-itiveness, I guess. You know, there is, uh, I think, culture, especially a Silicon Valley culture, which says, well, I tried it, it didn't work, too bad, goodbye. You know, on to the next. And, you know, part of that's healthy, part of that's good. But I've also seen some of our companies that haven't done that, that haven't walked away, that have stuck it out. Comprendio is a good example. You know, and eventually they make progress. Um, you know, and I think that's a good thing to learn. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. And no matter how many stories you've heard about that, that's, again, we were talking about Steve Jobs earlier. It's an outlier. Those are outliers. Those stories of like rocket ship rise to unicorn status are outliers. Most of us have to work very hard and progress is slow, but can be made and you need to stick with it. Mm -hmm. And I think our local entrepreneurs for a variety of reasons, but a lot of it is kind of upbringing and of ethics and values and things that are, you know, more heartfelt, if you will, they're more apt to do that and less apt to just kind of move on to the next. The other thing I like about our local entrepreneurs is, is in my opinion, I think they're more apt to solve real-world problems, you know. We're not so inundated with kind of first-world issues, you know. My my joke about the Bay Area is, you know, for example, the, the uh, hot cookie delivery company, you know, that's doing very well in San Francisco, uh, we wouldn't come up with that idea because there would be no market for it here, you know? Yeah, we don't even have DoorDash. I mean, we have Aloha to go. Yeah. Uh, God bless them. Uh, but, yeah. So, you know, we don't get a lot of that kind of, like, silly stuff here, you know, that I see a lot of from elsewhere. I mean, in terms of the applications we get, because we get so many applications from outside the state, and a good third of them are just, I would just put them in the category of silly. You know, that's just silly. Who needs that? Nobody, you know? Um, and it doesn't, it won't scale beyond these, these very wealthy metropolitan areas. And I just, I fundamentally don't find that interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think, 
that we're somewhat protected from that kind of hype cycle here, which is a good thing. Interesting. Yeah, it's just a, kind of that geographic isolation as a benefit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting, like when we take our companies to the, the mainland, because it's, you know, like at the end of every program, we do the capstone in San right. Francisco. I get investors all the time who are just thrilled to meet our companies. First of all, they're, they're shocked at the, you know, the quality. Wow, this company's from Hawaii, really? And then they're excited because they haven't already seen this company 500 times. <laughs> it hasn't been picked over and, you know, like, it's like these little secret hidden gems. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's how they view it, right? Like, oh, I'm going to get this first look at these hidden gems that have been percolating out in, you know, the middle of the Pacific and nobody else has gotten their hands on it yet. So Brad Feld, in his book, The Startup Communities, he says it takes 20 years to create a startup community. How far along that timeline do you think Hawaii is? Yeah, it's a good question. I get that question a lot. I mean, I guess I say five years. Yeah. So in the, the first third, kind of hitting a reset for... I'm hitting that reset yeah. button there. Yeah, yeah. Because I think with the boom and bust of, uh, of the dot-com and, and Act 221 era... It really, we really did have to start over, you know, and I do think, you know, it's kind of like that crash diet versus the slow, you know, diet. I think we're on the, the slow, you know, pound a week or something yeah. kind of diet, right? We're working our way towards our goal. Eat healthy, exercise regularly. Yeah. Good things will happen. Right. We're doing it the right way, it feels, it feels like this time, with a lot of involvement, with a lot of different constituencies. There's not a lot of heavy-handed, you know, kind of overreaching stuff. There's not a lot of kind of market irregularities, you know, to what we're doing. So I think it's healthier altogether, and I think it'll be more long-lasting because mm -hmm. of that. It's kind of like the building blocks are a little bit, you know, stronger, and um, so they, they don't have that same risk of just evaporation, yeah. you know, which is really what it felt like after... The bust of, of 221 and, and it was like, wow, where did all of that money go? <laughs> what do we have to show for it? Not a lot. Hmm. So is you know, we don't want to do that again. And talking about like building communities and, and your investment in this ecosystem, you said at one point that you made it your mission to build the entrepreneurial ecosystem as a diversified economy. Hmm. It's a ton of work mm -hmm. and often a thankless endeavor. <laughs> So what drives you to accomplish this? Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. <laughs> I, um, you know, originally, originally it was this idealistic notion that what was wrong with the world was a lack of economic opportunity. So if you think about where I started my career in like nonprofit uh, health and human services, and you see, you know, a lot of... Um, that whole industry is based on putting band-aids on problems. And I really wanted to fix the problem. And to me, the problem of inequality in general worldwide is economic opportunity. And we're just a microcosm of that, that problem in Hawaii, right? right? We don't have enough economic opportunity of, of a certain kind, right? Of, of well-paying jobs, of good knowledge worker type of, you know, uh, opportunities. And, you know, so I, I'm driven to try to affect change in that way. And do what you, like if I could read, uh, read into it a little bit, build the future of Hawaii that you want for your kids. Absolutely. Right. I mean, so we want our kids to have opportunities that do, we didn't have and the economic diversity. And, and I think that that affects the entire population. It's just, just my kids who are privileged let's say, but it's everybody's kids, you know, that will benefit from that uh, bigger pie, right? And that's that's really it, as we know, we can't grow the pie from tourism or military. Those pies are shrinking and at best remaining steady. So to, the growth is only going to come from, you know, certain sectors. And to me, technology is, is the best sector because it is very low impact in terms of the environment. You know, we don't have to build things, we don't have to pollute, we don't have to, you know, there's there's none of that kind of um, ill effect, but the benefit is huge and we can 
you know, we can also really overcome some of our natural disadvantages. We can export with the push of a button, you know, we can interact in, you know, this global economy in a way that many other sectors don't lend themselves to. So, you know, it's the perfect answer for Hawaii, mm-hmm. but it, it requires a lot of hard work and stick to itiveness, and it, it's going to require, I think, more and more bigger and bolder moves as we as we kind of move forward. Yeah, so speaking of like kind of that the, the global economy and the big, bold moves, Ethnies West yeah. is a conference you guys have done a couple times and yeah. spearheading that, uh, bringing in teams from all over the world that, you know, this is this infusion of ideas and, and interesting people, people investing, yeah. that going elsewhere. I know some of the, even East meets West, one of the teams coming into, you know, cohorts and how this mm-hmm. relationships works. You're doing a lot of traveling as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you seen, you know, our work in Hawaii even be an example for others? Yeah, I think it's, a, I mean, I think it's a great example. I think one of the things that we tend to do in Hawaii is, well, first we sell ourselves short, right? We say, oh, we're, we're not as good as those guys in Silicon Valley. We're not as smart as those guys in, in Hong Kong, whatever, uh, which of course isn't true. So so first of all, we need to give ourselves some credit where credit is due. Um, Hawaii actually has great brand recognition worldwide, which we can leverage, right? Even our startup brand is much bigger, I think, than most anyone knows. When I'm out traveling, as you said, I travel a lot. When I'm out traveling, almost you know, it, it never fails that I will run into many people who are like, oh, Startup Paradise, I've heard about that. What's happening in Hawaii, right? So so we're not giving ourselves enough credit for the work that we're doing and the, the, how far that message is traveling and how big our impression or our footprint really is globally, right? Because we're, we're kind of sitting out here and we're like, oh, nobody cares, you know. But, but they do, and it captures the imagination, right? Oh, there's a startup scene in Hawaii. That's so interesting. Tell me more about that, right? right? So, so I think you know we have to leverage all of that. Those are our natural advantages, right? This kind of, you know, this spark and this interest and this idea that we can we can build this ecosystem here. And so, East meets West is really about kind of capturing that that interest and that spark. And when we, for example, talk to speakers about coming out here. It's an easy ask. It's like, you want to come to Hawaii and speak at this conference? You know, I mean, we get really amazing people to come, you know, because we're in Hawaii, and why not? We should use that to our advantage. We're not asking you to go to Ohio to speak. You know what I mean? God bless anybody listening from Canton, Ohio. Yeah, sorry, Ohio. That's just my go-to. Come to Hawaii. You'll see what we mean. That's my go-to Middle of America place. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's leverage that we have and we should use. And so I think we can be a much more of a global player, you know, and, and we have an interesting story to tell. You know, next week I'm going to Hong Kong. I'll be on the stage at RISE. RISE will have 15,000 people at it. I mean, we're going to be talking about, you know, what's going on here and spreading that, that word. And so I think these, even though they seem to be little things that we're doing, they they resonate and they amplify as they move out from from our state because of that capture of you know the imagination that, that comes with that. So, you know, it's interesting. We've had East Meets West two years and it's really becoming its own little subculture, you know, that there's speakers and attendees that have come back each year and they're gonna to continue to come back. And now, you know, there was another big event in uh, China um, six weeks ago called Asia Beat. And there was, they had an East meets West reunion at Asia Beach. Oh, really? Yeah. With all of, you know. You must have been so stoked when yeah, you heard about and that. And they're tweeting about it. Hey, we're at Blue Startups, East meets West crew getting together. I mean, you know, so it's becoming its own kind of thing, which is really great for Hawaii. I mean, yeah. You know, it just spreads the word, puts us on a map in a way that we have never really been. And so I think we just have to keep pushing on that, you know, and and really leveraging it as, as much as we can. That's awesome. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about investing criteria. Mm-hmm. So what do you look for, qualities of an entrepreneur, what are kind of your heuristics when you're looking at making an investment? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a more, you know, genius answer for you other than team and, and the team and the team because, 
that's what we try to look at, of course, you know, all things being equal, but they're often not equal, right? And, you know, as you know from Accelerate UH, we're always making compromises of one kind or another, you know, whether it's an incomplete team or a not quite their technology or we know they're going to have to pivot, but, you know, we'll work through it, that kind of thing. So, you know, these are early stage companies and there's a lot of kinks to work out. Um, but it is, again, when I look back retrospectively, it is the people that carry the company. And, you know, as you were talking about your, your story with, with Hank's Wildcard and, and Ritify, it, it made me think about, actually, I just recently read another article saying, once you remove the founder from a company, even if that seemed like the right idea to bring in professional management, which is often the, the recommendation of VC, things do not go well. And so it really is the DNA of that founding team that makes the biggest difference. And there are certain entrepreneurs that I have worked with that I would I would back kind of no matter what, you know, mm -hmm. because of their their DNA, right? What they bring to that equation, and they will problem solve their way out of you know out of a box if they have to. They'll attract the right people to work with them. Uh, you know, all of those factors which are kind of intangibles, and they're, they're much less, you know, kind of qualitative than what is the technology, where's the, you know, market opportunity. And, you know, those things matter to us, but I'm, I'm much more like this guy is going to make something happen. And you kind of qualitatively are kind of analyzing that, or is, uh, obviously, because it's not just, is this guy smart? It's, is it the, maybe is it the right time? Is it the right, uh, you know, technical background, or do they just have something? Is that that X factor? Yeah, but I think just having something is probably the last on the list, hmm. you know, because I've seen really great ideas just get absolutely massacred in the wrong hands, right? I mean, you've seen it. Sadly. <laughs> you know, and you're oh, going, yeah. oh, God, this was such a glorious concept, but you were not the right person to see it through. And, um, and, and But conversely, I think you're much more likely to find your way out of, you know, a bad idea with a good entrepreneur than, you know, a good idea and a bad entrepreneur. So uh, it is really about looking for that talent. And, you know, it's pretty rare. I mean, honestly, I've met a handful of people that are put in that category of, yep, I'd invest in whatever they did. Hmm. And it is rare. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, hard to fill a cohort with just those kind of people. Well, you're making calculated bets all the time, right? And there's you know. so many un unknowns, right? And that's, yeah. That's the beauty of the accelerator model for me. It's really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're just, it's, it's built in huge diversification. I'm a big believer in that. I mean. Is that kind know, of part of your investment thesis, would you say? It is. I mean. You know, people give, like Dave McClure, so much of a hard time because of this spray and pray, and you're not really doing any due diligence, and you're just investing in as many companies as you can. And, you know, he is going to win in the end, guaranteed, <laughs> because you can't predict success. It's impossible. You know, there's so many huge companies with everything going for them that have just imploded, you know, and then so many of these underdogs they, where did that come from how did that if that guy pitched me tomorrow I'd be like no way that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard right and they become the next snapchat Instagram you name it right so tumbling and to be an investor I'm sure like yeah. Do you, yeah speaking of which do you have an anti-portfolio I you know I don't I thought about that a lot like, really did I miss well, that's good because then you don't have FOMO too hard <laughs> you know I, I don't I don't yet. Yeah. Don't yet. That's not <laughs> okay. to say it's not going to happen. You know, certainly in the not accelerator, because we get so many applicants, you know, I've definitely seen companies that we've passed on move on, at least to the next phase of life, you know, and get venture funding and things like that. And I go, oh, wow, well, that's interesting. But, you know, so far, no, like, unicorns that okay. I've missed. Well, you good. know, that. Yeah, like, knock on wood, we won't have to... Uh, you know, lament yet. about that. But, uh, awesome. Well, let's uh, kind of wrap up with some rapid fire Q and A. That's all right with you. Uh, so I'll just kind of 
throw out some questions and whatever first comes to your mind. Okay. Your favorite thing about Hawaii? Nature. Do you have a favorite beach? Ah, Hapuna. What about uh, blog or pod, your favorite blog or podcast? Well, like I said, I I, I do like uh, James, I can't pronounce his last name. Altucher. Yeah, <laughs> a lot because he's funny. And uh, as far as blog, and then um, right now I'm listening to the TED Radio Hour yeah. podcast. Which can't miss. Is yeah. mind expanding. Absolutely. I've learned so much about so many random things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's a book you've read multiple times or that you've gifted the most? Mm, that's a good question. It's actually a, a strange book that you're not going to understand, but uh, The Shark Dialogues, which is a book, a very long and evolved book about Hawaiian history and sovereignty movement in a, in a tale. It's a, it's a fiction. That's awesome. I love it when it's like something so obscure. <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, that's an awesome thing about too Hawaii is like it's so, um, you know, when we can talk about stuff like this. Anyways, I'll geek out on that later. Um, okay. Something that you believe, this is a Peter Thiel question now. Something you believe to be true that no one else believes to be true. And, and this was his interview question, the contrarian, the contrarian king. Um, uh, something I believe to be true that nobody else that Hawaii can be attacked. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> in the world. Um, what is uh, maybe something in your career that you're really proud of? I think Blue Startups is the thing I'm the most proud of. Awesome. Absolutely. Because it's the thing I've had the most control over myself. You know, my map partners, obviously I couldn't do it without them. So that's like the first thing. But in terms of um, really creating something from scratch and making it work. Yeah, and getting national recognition. Yeah. Top accelerators in the country. Huge. I mean, that was such, Congratulations. A, such a boon for us. And, and st we're still still pushing on that. I'm going to push on that until I'm like <laughs> 10 years from now. <laughs> so who has inspired you in your career? Like, is there anybody you look up to? I look up to so many people. I mean, I honestly, like, Dave McClure has been huge, huge for me. I mean, he... Just on personal note, because he's such a genuine person. I know he's a big personality in the startup world, and so many people just think of him that way. Um, I've been fortunate to get to know him, and he's just a sweetheart. And um, so I appreciate both his mind, his drive, his ambition, and his humanness so much. Yeah. Hmm. So I'll wrap up in a second with kind of your final pieces of advice for entrepreneurs listening. Before I do, I actually just wanted to kind of recognize you for a second. Uh, you know, I think your drive and dedication to this community is fantastic. You know, you're investing essentially into a generation of entrepreneurs that you know, we talk about impacting, you know, beyond, you know, this decade. Um, you know, the, the work that you're doing here in Hawaii, the, the message that you're sharing around the opportunity that you have to kind of travel and take such a uh, brand, be such a brand ambassador for our community uh, to really grow and invest it. Just wanted to say well done. And everybody has you to thank for lots of things. So uh, with that, I do want to ask what final tips or pieces of advice do you have for entrepreneurs or even investors listening? This is again so obvious, but do your homework. It's not that hard. There's this thing called the internet <laughs> and Google. Um, you know, the last thing I want to do is tell you more about your space, your company, your competition than you know, which is, I come across that all the time and I, I'm just flabbergasted by that. You know, there, there's just no excuse for ignorance in this world right now because everything's at your fingertips. So if you didn't do the homework, yeah, you're just lazy. <laughs> Work hard. Don't be lazy. Yeah. Great lessons. Thank you, Chinoa. All right. It's great to chat. I do want to say, so do we have a name for this board? Milestones chart. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting check marks on that mm -hmm. thing. Oh, so cool. <laughs> Chidoa, you rock. Thank you for being on the show. And of course, thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to get updates on new episodes right when they come out, then sign up for the newsletter. Just head over to sultanventures.com, scroll down to the footer where you can input your email. 
please share this episode, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. That would be awesome. This is the Startup Catalyst podcast brought to you by Sultan Ventures. I'm your host, Luke Tucker, signing off. Tune in next Thursday for the episode with Mark Quesada, CTO and co-founder of Hobnob. Don't miss it. Aloha.